Ladies and gentlemen, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I'm thrilled that you would choose to spend some time here with me today on this edition of the show. There is no pain. There is actually a lot of pleasure because, as you may know, if you were here last week on, I don't remember what day it was exactly, but the Brooklyn Nets went out and traded for James Harden. Yes, the James Harden. I had to record um, a special episode for that. That aired last Friday. So if you want to go and just like kind of figure out or not figure out, but listen to my thoughts, my expectations, my analysis of the deal that went down, um, I would say go and listen to it. But everything I said there was how I felt before the trade. And that was, of course, before Harden had actually suited up for the team, and of course, before they actually went and played any games together. Since the trade went down, Harden has appeared in two contests. There was His first game was against the Magic, and then his second game was last night against the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Nets won both games. They kind of skated by in both contests. The Bucks game was, I think the final was 120, the final was 125-123, and then let me just quickly go to their schedule i think against the magic the final was like 122 116 or something it was another just close it was another close nail-biting contest 122 115 pardon me but in those two games harden looked for the most part fantastic and on my google doc here it says james jarden i didn't realize that i misspelled his name because i'm a robot in those two games he scored a combined 66 points uh, is shooting 48.8% from the field despite 30% from three, which is quite fantastic. And then he's handed out 16 assists. I believe 13 of those came in his um his opening or his debut with the team where he did drop a 30-point triple-double. The first play, if I remember the first player, was it the first player in history? I think he was the first player in history to drop a 30-point triple-double with his new team. Um, I am just... Uh, <laughs> I am so indescribably elated to see James Harden playing well alongside Kevin Durant and everybody. I did not think it would go this smoothly. Granted, it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows. Harden hasn't, he hasn't looked like James Harden quite yet. He's still, I don't think he's trying to play himself into game shape because he looks fine. Conditioning wise, he looks okay. You know, his body isn't, he's not this bloated whale. That everybody thought he was a couple nights ago when uh, he was in that baby blue getup with the Rockets and he was just looking like, bro, this man was looking like Rick Ross. I don't know if it was the angle or I don't know if just blue is not his color. Maybe he was bloated. He had a super big pasta disc before the game or something, but it was not a flattering look for the former league MVP. But he comes to Brooklyn, he gets in those baby blue throwback uniforms. And my God, I was just, I was in awe watching him come out and play the other night against the Magic. Like, it was just, I got transported to a place that I don't think I've been as a Nets fan. Like, it was that different. And I mean, I've seen some shit. Um, I can't even say that I really felt that way when they went to the finals back in the early 2000s because although I was, like, watching basketball, I was six, seven years old at the time, so I couldn't really comprehend what was going on. And uh, nobody was there to like explain it to me either. But 
I mean, more recently with D'Angelo Russell helping lead that team to the postseason a couple of years ago, like I thought that was just the most joy I would feel as a fan. But now it's just it's different because the the chemistry between James Harden and Kevin Durant is like they've been playing together for these last couple years. I mean, ever since they left OKC, now they're back together and it looks like nothing's changed. And Harden is, well, he appears to be super happy to be in the situation. Granted, he didn't really go out on the best terms with the Houston Rockets, you know, saying that the team just wasn't straight up saying that the team was ass. And although I kind of agreed with him, I did. I don't know if I even said it. It probably just slipped my mind, but that's not something that you want to say out loud to the media. Like, you can say stuff like that, but you kind of got to be more diplomatic about it. I mean, I, I, I don't know what I would say because I'm not a PR person, nor am I an athlete, but I would definitely go to the front office and be like, look, I don't think this team is going to do anything. And, you know, I, I want out of here. And of course, you know, those rumors are going to circulate no matter who you talk to. They're always going to get leaked, but... I mean, you could really just come out and say, you know, the, I have no control over this. The organization is going to do whatever the organization feels they need to do. If I stay, cool. If I don't stay, if I get sent to somewhere else, that's cool too. Like, you kind of you just can't leave your teammates out to dry. And although I understand where he's coming from, because I kind of agreed with him in the sense that the Rockets had really just fallen off since that 2018, that 2017-18 season. And the front office just like... They didn't really try to make it better. I mean, I was listening to Shaq on um, Inside the NBA shortly after the trade happened, and he was talking about how Harden didn't necessarily perform well in the postseason, and it's his fault that, you know, the Rockets didn't get to where they needed to be. And, well, I agree with that to a certain degree, and I even said that in um, Friday's episode. I even said that, look, Harden has not been the most reliable guy in the postseason up until last year but you can't pin it all on him I mean it's not all his fault that the Rockets didn't do anything like yes he did not play that well but no one really seemed to step up alongside him like the team just overall was not built to con- to contend for a championship it, it it simply was not and I think again Harden saw the writing on the wall he's like I want to go somewhere where I feel that team is going to do something. And of course, the Sixers were on there. I think this came out after the fact, but... What? Sorry about that. I think this came out after the fact, but the Sixers pretty much had a deal lined up. Like, Ben Simmons was... If Ben Simmons and... I think it was Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel were told by their agents, hey, expect to be going to Houston. And then all of a sudden, the Nets fly in. And I guess... They must have blown the Sixers offer out of the water because I guess not in terms of personnel, but draft picks. I mean, Houston got three picks outright and four swaps from Brooklyn. Like, that's a lot. They didn't get any young players, though. Well, they did. I'm lying. They got Victor Oladipo, um, who had 32 in his debut. Very impressive performance from that young man. Um they missed out on both Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, who are in Indiana and Cleveland, respectively. I just want to give a shout out to Karis LeVert. It was recently reported that the um, this young man has a mass on his kidney, and he's pretty much out indefinitely. And I just want to send my prayers. I want to send some good vibes over to both Karis LeVert and the Indiana Pacers, because although he's 
no longer on my favorite team. Uh, he was really, he was one of the first people the Nets drafted where, you know, it looked like that they had a clue, that they knew what they were doing. And to just see his development over the last couple of years into, you know, one of the go-to guys for a budding championship team, like I'm, I'm forever indebted to Karis LeVert for everything that he did for the franchise. And I, I was sad to see him go. I'm sad to find out that he's dealing with this, um, this bodily issue that we don't know when it will be resolved. And I just hope after all this blows over that Karis goes on to have a very prosperous career and, you know, maybe wins a championship or two. Maybe he'll even find his way back to the Nets in a couple of years, you know, when maybe when it's all said and done, he's close to retiring. He wants to come back to Brooklyn. That would be awesome. Um, I also feel sorry for Jared Allen for having to go to Cleveland. Like nobody wants to go to Cleveland, bro. I, I'm sorry. The only reason people want to go to Cleveland is to play for the Browns. I mean, they're the best thing that Cleveland has going for them right now. Even though they got beat by the Chiefs on Sunday, um, I caught a little bit of that game. And, you know, we'll talk about some, some NFL stuff later on. But I was very impressed by Baker Mayfield and the Browns over the last couple of weeks. You know, just coming out, beating the Steelers in the first round of the playoffs. Although the Steelers might not have been their, the most difficult opponent. I mean, you know, you still have to play well in the postseason. The Steelers are a good team with a couple talented players on the roster. And, uh, you know, you could say the same for the Cleveland Browns. You know, Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, doing it without Odell. And um, it's very impressive. And for them to only lose by five to a Chiefs team that had Patrick Mahomes out there for three quarters, I mean, that's like the Browns, they have a lot. They have a lot of things going for them. But the Cavaliers, not so much. And we're actually going to talk about the Cavaliers here in a little bit. But, um, I just want to touch on something with James Harden and Kevin Durant. As great as James and Kevin have looked so far, and there's no denying that they've been spectacular. KD had 42 in his first, his first game with James Harden. Had um, 32 last night, I think. So He had another 30-point bomb. Let me just double-check the box score. I think he had 32. James had 30. No, KD had 30. Harden had 34 and 12. I mean, these guys, like... It's scary hours. It really is scary hours. And it's even scarier because Kyrie has yet to come back. Now, I don't know where... I don't believe we're going to be seeing these kinds of numbers from KD and James once Kyrie comes back because I just think it's it's more likely that all of them get around like 22 to 25 than it is for all of them to get 30 because they're simply isn't enough shots to go around. Like, just looking at the shot breakdown from last night, Harden, or I say last night, it was actually Monday night because this is going up on a Wednesday. So Monday night, Harden had 25. KD had 21. Joe Harris had 12. Jeff Green had six. DeAndre Jordan had six as well. Although these two guys right here, DJ and uh, Uncle Jeff, shot a combined 11 of 12 and scored 26 combined points. So I would love to see that type of production when Kyrie comes back. Bruce Brown, he's not really going to impact the offense that much he's not going to command a lot of shots, but I mean, I'm so impressed with this young man, but it's not, about, it's not about Bruce right now. It's about what's going to happen when Kyrie comes back because he is set to come back soon. Um, there is still not a return. However, he is back to um, like getting his conditioning back in order. There was some, there was a little bit of optimism that he would return for Monday's game, but that did not happen. He's still trying to, you know, get back into shape after dealing with all of his um his personal business and then also the quarantine rules because the nba did find him 
at fault they find him fifty thousand dollars for the video oh, pardon me for the video of him at his sister's birthday party where he was present inside of a club a bar whatever without a mask on so he had to take some time off for that as well but i think you know i was super worried about just the chemistry of this team bringing in james harden and after watching him for a couple of games i don't feel that way at all i i no longer feel that james is gonna just clog everything up because i never realized how just transcendent of a passer james harden is like his feel for the game is just like it's on another level like it's gonna get to a point where we're gonna have to talk about him in like that lebron james chris paul type of passing tier i mean he's just like he's so good at reading the defense um the execution right now is not that great simply because you know he's trying to figure out how some of his guys like the ball i mean when you're passing to someone like kd you can kind of just as long as you put it in his shooting pocket that's all that matters i mean it it doesn't really matter he's just he's gonna make do he's gonna he's just gonna be kd i there's really no other way for me to describe it just put the ball in kd's hands and let him go to work but i'm talking about uh, oh and the same goes with joe harris like you have a lock you have a lights out shooter one of the best shooters in the nba as long as the ball is in his shooting pocket it's a done deal i'm more so talking about you know trying to find the spots for guys like deandre jordan uh reggie perry jeff green guys who spend a lot more time inside the three-point line and deandre jordan in particular like just every time i feel like every possession i've watched thus far and i've seen about 80 percent of both games probably closer to 90 um I feel that every time James Harden throws the ball to DeAndre Jordan, it's just, it's just not it. Like for whatever reason, it's either too high. A lot of the times, it's too high. Actually, I think James Harden is forgetting that DeAndre Jordan is like sixty-five in athlete years and just doesn't have the get-up that he used to. I mean, there have been some crisp passes from Harden to DJ, but those are very few and far between uh, at this point. Like if Harden begins to clean up and just kind of figure out where DJ is best at getting the ball. There are going to be a lot of easy buckets for DJ coming up. That's really my only complaint with James Harden is the turnovers. And the Nets have given up a lot of turnovers. They had 19 against the Magic and they had 17 against Milwaukee. Um, and just like I'm looking at the box score, they only forced the Bucks into five turnovers. Um, how they managed to win this game without creating all without creating any turnovers is simply beyond me. But then again, that shit kind of happens when you have James Harden and Kevin Durant on your team. They kind of just make plays. I mean, the whole fourth quarter was them just <laughs> walking down the court and making shots. It was it was so much fun to watch. I, <laughs> it was awesome, especially with KD, who um coming off his Achilles injury is just having the best start to his career ever. Uh, I think CBS Sports tweeted out that KD has, I think, um, 300 and some odd points so far. Uh, I want to get the exact number because I'm not, I want to just, you know, not bullshit. He said 337 through 11 games, and I'm pretty sure through 11 games, he's never been this good. I mean, just looking at the numbers, right? 337 points. 54% from the field, 48% from three. I mean, averaging seven 
rebounds, almost six assists. And he was doing this before Harden got here. Harden is only making Kevin Durant more lethal. And when Kyrie comes back, Kevin Durant is only going to be more lethal. I feel that, you know, regardless of what happens, as big of an ego that the guys on this team may or may not have, as good as they may feel they are, when the game is on the line and the Nets need a bucket, I, I really don't think anyone on this team is going to have an issue with giving the ball to KD down the stretch. I mean, people might want to say that Kyrie might have an issue with it because that he was that guy in Cleveland. He was the guy when the Cavaliers needed a bucket, they would give the ball to Kyrie one-on-one, say, hey, create something. And that worked because LeBron is not the same type of one-on-one scorer that Kyrie Irving is. Kevin Durant, however, is the greatest scorer to ever live. He is the most talented, the most versatile, the most unguardable person who has ever touched a basketball like you're again we're talking about a dude who is seven feet tall with a seven fucking with a seven foot 13 inch wingspan who can score from literally anywhere on the court in any manner post-ups transition threes cuts off the ball with the ball in his hands like one-on-one isolation this dude he just like (laughs) there is nothing anybody can do about it and the fact that he's still able to do it better than he's ever done it before after coming off an Achilles injury like I I love Kyrie Irving to death and I think he's a fantastic scorer but you know game on the line if Kevin Durant is on the court I, I think everyone knows who's getting that ball and you know some nights it might be Kyrie because Kyrie Irving is not far behind and I would not be upset if you know what Every so often, Kyrie is the guy down the stretch over KD because Kyrie is kind of like a mini Kevin Durant. Like at 6'2, 6'3, he is kind of limited in what he can do, but he knows how to just counter that because he's been doing it for so long. He knows how to manipulate his body. He knows how to, you know, manipulate the defense to get to where he wants. But Kevin Durant is that dude. And Harden has only amplified his success. And I think with all of this, I feel very confident in putting Kevin Durant at the top of my MVP leaderboard. I mean, the numbers are just spectacular, right? I'm going to rattle them off real quick. 30.6 points, which is the second highest of his career, mind you. 5.7 rebounds. I mean, 5.7 assists, 7.1 rebounds. He's averaging a block per game. Somehow, I didn't realize he was even doing that. Shooting, again, 54% overall. 48 from three I don't know how sustainable that is I think it it's much more likely that it's going to drop down to like 40 42 but even then 42 percent from three for you know this walking uh, from literally a walking bucket like I know we joke that Michael Beasley is a walking bucket but Kevin Durant is quite actually a walking bucket like this dude just touches the ball and the defense like freezes there were points on Monday watching the Bucks game where Kevin Durant would have the ball on the wing and the Bucks, like their defense was pretty much just to send as many bodies to Kevin Durant as possible. Like this man would take two dribbles inside the three-point line and, you know, Middleton would be there and then Drew Holiday would be creeping up. Brooke Lopez would pull up from the paint. You'd have Giannis rotating over to the weak side of the paint just to, you know, God forbid Kevin Durant slice through three people. You have the fourth defender there. Like anytime there's a player where 
anytime there's a player where the entire defense stops and looks at his direction, like you know that you're working with just in a beast that the NBA has only seen a couple of times beforehand. Like this is Miami Heat LeBron type energy. This is Shaq type energy. This is Michael Jordan type energy. Like this is this is goat energy that the defense is giving Kevin Durant. And f- at least for me, oh, and another thing, KD's getting to the line eight and a half times a game, shooting 87%. Like his numbers statistically are MVP caliber. What's really going to make or break his MVP run is if he's able to sustain these numbers with Harden and with Kyrie, because I'm fully expecting them to dip a little bit but we have to see how much. I mean, Kevin Durant is so radically efficient that he can get three, four fewer shots per game and still average 26, 27 points. I mean, a couple years ago in Golden State, I'm looking at it right now. His first year in Golden State averaged 16 and a half shots a game and was at 25.1 points. And that was him shooting 37% from three. I'll round it up to 38 because it's 37 and a half. Like, those are MVP caliber numbers. I just... At this point, I don't see anyone taking the title away from him. But again, I will admit this is super early MVP discussion. Not really something that I would take super, super seriously. Although if the Nets are able to keep winning at this pace, you know, KD is going to be a finalist for this award. I I, I don't see anybody else really. Um, oh, I don't want to say I don't see anybody challenging him because as we're going to get to in a second, the MVP class, at least to start, is quite deep. But for me. Player success and team success are, you know, they're complementary. They they have to go together. The Nets right now, nine and six. They've pulled off a couple quality victories. I think they're on a four-game streak because they beat Milwaukee. They beat um, Orlando. They beat the Knicks. And then I don't remember who they beat before the Knicks. And they beat Denver. And wow, all of these, like, the defense has been almost non-existent in all these games. That That point notwithstanding. Still, you know, they're beating up on people. And it's really all because of Kevin Durant, because the rest of the roster, Kyrie Irving, missed a lot of time. Um, James Harden, brand new. Other than that, I mean, Joe Harris has really picked it up. But again, Joe Harris really isn't someone who can lead the offense. That one night where he went off for, I think, 29 against... I don't remember who it was against. I want to say Utah, but I know that's wrong. Um, Whatever. That was not something that he's going to be able to do every night. Now, Kevin Durant, however, if he's not dropping 30, like there's something wrong. And that is really why I feel he's got the best shot to win the MVP. Second on my list is Steph Curry, because the Warriors, I don't want to say the team is a poo-poo salad, but the team is a far cry from what it used to be. Clay Thompson is unfortunately not playing. Um, Their second leading scorer right now is, I want to say it's Andrew Wiggins. I think that's correct. I think it's Andrew Wiggins. Um, Yeah. So right now, Andrew Wiggins is at 18 points a game, followed by Eric Pascal and Kelly Oubre. Uh, James Wiseman, Again, you can go to basketballreference.com, look at the Warriors stats, and this team is simply 
significantly worse when Steph Curry is not on the court. And Steph is, again, doing what Steph does. This man's at 28 points, 6 assists, 5 boards, shooting 44% from the field. I mean, the numbers are a little bit down, but, you know, the defense, they can apply significantly more pressure to Curry now than ever before because instead of helping off Klay Thompson or helping off a of Kevin Durant, you're helping off of Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. And, like, no disrespect, especially to Andrew Wiggins, because he has played relatively well. I mean, he's shooting 38% from three, which is very impressive for him. But, I mean, Kelly Oubre has been, you know, kind of buns to start the season. And that sucks, because I really like Kelly Oubre. I really liked watching him play in Phoenix, but it just, you know, it hasn't worked out that way. And then, of course, you know, you got James Wiseman, who is a rookie. So he's producing at a rookie level. I mean, he's not bad by any means. He's definitely a net positive for the Warriors. But, you know, it again, it, the defense can play it differently when they don't have to worry about Clay and KD. And the fact that this team is above 500, granted, they're above 500 by one game. They did beat the Lakers last night. They came back to beat the Lakers last night. Um, LeBron and AD just stunk. Straight up, I think they were combined 12 of 32 overall from the field, had 34 points between the two of them. Again, just not a flattering performance for the reigning champs um, against a team that was very beatable. I mean, this Warriors team is really nothing without Steph Curry, and I think everybody knows that. And I said before the season that Steph Curry was one of my dark horse favorites to win the MVP. I picked Luka Doncic, and, you know, Luka is playing fantastic basketball, but the Mavs, kind of stinky right now, not really helping Luka in that regard. Steph, however, if the Warriors can continue to win, and they, you know, win maybe 55, 58% of their games, I could see the voters looking at what Steph did as long as he's maintaining these numbers and be like, you know, I think he deserves it because we kind of saw that treatment a couple years ago with Russell Westbrook and James Harden. James Harden's Rockets. Uh, again, this was, I think it was either 2017 or 2018. It was one of those years. I'm, I apologize for not being able to remember, but the year that Russell Westbrook averaged the triple-double, right? Fantastic campaign individually. James Harden also had a fantastic campaign and averaged only two fewer rebounds than Russ, but the Rockets were significantly better and the voters still went with Russ. So again, narratives really do help push the MVP race. In that regard, you know, Russell Westbrook is just like this one man wrecking crew. He seems just, you know, very um, heartbroken you know, Kevin Durant ups and leaves, goes to a super team, and Russ is like, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go out and shit on everybody. And Russ went out and shat on everybody, and he brought home the MVP. I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. I'm just saying that my view on it was different than everybody else's. I, even when I wrote about it, I was like, hey, James Harden's my pick for MVP, but that doesn't mean that Russell Westbrook did not, you know, earn the right to be in that conversation. He most certainly did. But, you know, narratives can sometimes take a hold of the MVP race. In that regard, maybe that flips the script to Kevin Durant. Like, these guys, the voters might look at KD averaging 28, 7, and 5 and being like, you know what? New team where he is the number one guy, right? 
even though he was like the number one guy in Oakland, the Warriors were still Steph's team. Like he was the fan favorite. People loved Steph with or without KD because he had won titles without KD beforehand. That doesn't cheapen the ones that they went together. It just means that the fans had more of an attachment to Steph. And I mean, you know, the Warriors didn't need KD to win a couple more titles. Like he just wanted to go there, play, win a couple titles. And I mean, you know what? Now he leaves. He goes to a roster that is worse than what he was on the couple of years beforehand. And coming off an Achilles injury to play ball like this, bro, unheard of, unheard of. Achilles are probably the worst injury an athlete can suffer. I mean, it's the fucking ligament or the, te- the tendon, pardon me, that connects your foot to the rest of your leg. And for that shit to just snap, for it to heal, and then for KD to come back and play like this, no one could have expected it. I was fully expecting KD to be 60% of himself, 70% of himself, but no, he's 110% of his former self. And I remember, I forgot who it was, and I don't know if it was about um, basketball or football, but Achilles injuries tend to be harder for like heavier guys to come back from like someone like DeMarcus Cousins you know him and KD are about the same height but DeMarcus Cousins is just a bigger guy you know he's got more muscle he's a bigger stronger he's a center he's built like a center and you know I don't really think that human bodies are built to be able to support men that are as big as some NBA players are and it's just so much additional stress and like the load of having the load that it has to bear with KD he's like 190 pounds soaking wet like I could see why it makes sense that it's much easier for the Achilles to support a, a smaller, lighter player. But with that said, no one, I don't think anybody expected this. I'm not sure Kevin Durant even expected this. I don't think Steve Nash expected this. I really don't think anyone could have predicted KD bouncing back like this. Um, just to round off the rest of this list, I got LeBron and Kawhi fourth, followed by Giannis and Joel Embiid. LeBron and Kawhi over Giannis is really just more of like a record thing, a team record thing, because I'm just going to pull up um, the basketball reference MVP tracker, which is different than mine. Mind you, they have Nikola Jokic at one. I don't think that Jokic deserves to be on this list. I mean, his numbers are fantastic. It's average of 25, 11, and 10, but the Nuggets just they have yet to figure it out, and it's the same reason I don't have Luca on this list. It's also weird that they don't have Luca on this list because if you go over to Luca's numbers, they are as good as Jokic's. Twenty-seven points, nine point nine rebounds, nine point three assists. I mean, Dallas has the same record. Like I just, I'm not saying that they're not in the race, but they're definitely not finalists at this point. If they can figure out what the fuck's going on with their respective teams this will be a different this will be a different conversation in a couple weeks but James Kawhi and Giannis right LeBron and Kawhi are pretty much and they're not really not even that even they're not even that even wow Kawhi has the edge in points by 0.6 27 24.3 to 23.7 but you know LeBron more rebounds more assists they're shooting about the same Kawhi's been better from downtown I mean doing it a couple fewer minutes and the rocket the rockets what the fuck what team does he play for the Lakers the Lakers have a one game lead over the Clippers at 11 and 4 LA is 10 and 4 
Milwaukee, however, is nine and five. So they're not that far back. They have played fewer games, but I mean, dude, Giannis is just, he's, he's doing Giannis things, 27, 10 and five. I mean, he's the same guy that dominated the league last year is back. Yeah. He's back. This is going to be the type of production that defines Giannis's career. Like if, if he goes the season without averaging like 25, 10 and five, it's going to be considered a shitty season. That's where we're at with this kid. And I mean, you know, he set that standard, so I'm not exactly, I don't exactly feel bad for him because you know, that's his own doing, but I just, if the Bucks can, you know, go on a little bit of a tear towards the end of the season, it really is unfair to talk about, you know, team records when not every team has played the same amount of games. I, I get that, but I'm just working with what I got. Um, it's, I really don't really feel like changing the, the criteria. So I just kind of acknowledge that, hey, this shit is subject to change. Right now, I think KD has the lead. Steph could take it. You know, LeBron could take it. Giannis could take it. I mean, someone else who's on the list, Paul George. Paul George could sneak out. Uh, listen, we like to shit on Paul George, but Paul George has been very, very good for the Clippers. The same goes with Anthony Davis. Um, Joel Embiid, again, really doing his best to carry the Sixers. He's at 25 and 12, basically. I mean, Sixers are 9 and 5. Like, you know, DeMontis Sabonis is getting some love on here. I don't know how likely that is, but I mean, this dude... It's been a workhorse. There's just there are just so many talented players to pick from. But the MVP race is typically monopolized by, you know, the faces of the league. The Durants, the Currys, LeBrons, the Hardens. Maybe not so much Harden right now because like I I really find it difficult to see Harden or Kyrie taking over and like being legitimately considered for the award because again, this is KD's team. That's that's just my opinion on it. But yeah, all of this is subject to change. Like I maybe we'll see Jokic on here next month or in six weeks. Same thing with Luka Doncic. It's just really for them. It's the teams turning it around because the Nuggets and Mavericks in particular, they were teams that I, I expected to be a lot better. And so far they just have not been, they've just been stinky. Like I'm going to pull up the Nuggets schedule right now they've just been very inconsistent you know two starts two losses to start the season then they come out and they beat sacramento then they lose two more games like losses to the clippers the kings the kings again the suns the sixers oh no the um the mavericks pardon me they lost to the nets they lost to the jazz they beat the warriors you know like it's so difficult to gauge because they're losing to bad teams right they're losing to the kings but then they're coming out and they're beating the Sixers. And that's really it. Okay. So maybe. Yeah. I don't know. The, th the Nuggets are just like kind of mid, honestly. And I don't understand how. Because the team is like. The team is talented. The team has a lot of talent. I mean. You got Murray. You got Jokic. You got Michael Porter Jr. Who averaged 20 points in four games. In his first four games to start the season, he's out. I don't even know why he's out. Like, I, why is he out? Am I dumb or something? He, Porter Jr. will remain in the NBA's health and safety protocols for an indefinite period of time. Uh, okay, I, I, that's my first time learning about this. I mean, like, the Nuggets? 
they're pretty good. Although the defense is trash, so that makes that makes sense. But yeah, very disappointed in them. Um, I'm also disappointed in the Cavaliers, shockingly, because there was a report that came out from the Athletic. I hope I'm logged in on this computer because if I'm not, I'm going to be very upset. Am I? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, perfect. So let's pull this up real quick. Uh, NBA Cavaliers. So a report came out a couple days ago that said, <laughs> so fucking stupid, that the Cavaliers were pretty much ready to cut ties with Kevin Porter Jr. So this is, uh, I think four people reported on this. It was Jason Lloyd, Joe Varden, um, the byline reads by Jason Lloyd, Joe Varden, and more. This is January 28th. Cavaliers guard Kevin Porter Jr. is expected to be traded or released following an outburst Friday in the Cavaliers locker room. The Athletic has learned from several sources with direct knowledge of the events. Porter, 20, who has not played this season due to personal issues, grew angry when he entered the locker room and realized the team gave his old locker to Torian Prince, who was acquired in a blockbuster trade on Wednesday. So you see this byline or the headline and you're like, Ah, oh, Kevin, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. is upset about something. Uh, maybe he's upset with, you know, the team. Well, clearly he's upset with the team. And it's like, oh, but, you know, maybe he's in the wrong. And then you read that second paragraph. They gave his locker to Tory and Prince. They, like, how, uh, how are you going to do that? How are you going to give a young player who you drafted who has only played one NBA season. He's played this many NBA seasons. He's played one more NBA season than I have. You're gonna just going to move his locker for a new guy who's coming in. And, dude, let's be honest. It's not like the Cavaliers got Karis LeVert. Or it's not like they gave his locker to Jared Allen, somebody who is significantly better than Kevin Porter Jr. No. They gave his locker to Torian Prince, right? I'm going to continue reading. Sources said Porter, whose locker was moved to the wall where the younger end of bench players reside, began yelling and at one point threw food. That's fucking hilarious. I, <laughs> the Cavaliers, they got to stop keeping food in the locker room because it just seems that whenever shit hits the fan, someone is looking for a can of cannonballs or they're going to find like a goddamn Clementine or some shit. They might, you know, beats, they might throw a banana like a boomerang or something. Like, I don't, I just, I don't understand how the fuck this keeps happening. Like, it's just, this is the best part of the story that Kevin Porter is like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> make as big of a scene as possible. It's kind of like when people get fired and they just like, they go off and they're pissing in plants and they take a shit in the elevator or something. It's like Kevin Porter is doing that. I mean, I may not condone these actions, but I definitely understand him being pissed. Sources said general manager Kobe Altman came into the locker room and confronted Porter and the player remained combative with his bust. Cast spent the weekend trying to trade him. Good fucking shit. Yeah, really gonna work out there. Now, there is, of course, two sides to the story. Um, the paragraph later goes on, and I'm not trying to criticize the reporters on this story, by the way. Um, I think this is, a, this is a fine story. They're just doing their job. I mean, it's not their fault that they got to fucking print this hilarious uh, drama. This, this is like, this is a play. I, there is a whirlwind of emotions going on. Um, they're just relaying the information their sources gave to them. Now, Kevin Porter Jr. is, I don't want to say he's a knucklehead, but he seems kind of, you know, he, he's done dumb shit before. 
he's a young man. You know, you can always say, oh, they should know better. But like, really, you're 20, 21 years old, 19 years old. You don't know better. You're a fucking kid. Kids are stupid. I'm 24 and I'm still a stupid kid. Like you really like you don't learn how to be an adult until I'd say probably until you have kids of your own. Like if, if we're being honest, like, you know, sometimes people are knuckleheads and they make dumb decisions like this. Uh, this highlight, this paragraph right here highlights the um the runs with the law that kevin porter had it says he was arrested and charged with improper handling of a firearm in a motor vehicle failure to control the vehicle and misdemeanor possession of marijuana all of these charges were dismissed i'm not going to get bent out of shape with the um the possession of marijuana especially because if if it's off if the nba is no longer testing for it um and you know let him do what he's got to do unless of course it's, inter it's interfering with his performance on the court then that's like a that's like a workplace you know that's a, that's an issue with your job uh failure to control the vehicle which is pretty much i'm pretty sure that's just reckless driving uh improper handling of a firearm is a little sus um the charges however were dismissed and it seemed to just kind of be like a bump in the road right i've been watching last chance recently and you know the first or it was the second season with the uh, emcc where you had a couple guys come in who kind of just fucked up like the one guy that really stuck out to me was dakota allen that linebacker from texas tech who got arrested for armed robbery and like you're watching him in the show and he's this very nice this very you know compassionate intelligent young man who just happens to be an exceptional football player and you know he made a mistake there are a bunch of guys that go through that show where you know one mistake just kind of fucked them over and i get that you're supposed to follow the rules that your university has set or you're supposed to follow the law but you know what sometimes you just get caught up in some bad shit and shit goes down you just kind of you know move on from it you accept the responsibility you apologize if you hurt anybody if you wronged anybody and you just keep it moving that's how i feel in this instance with kevin porter you know made a mistake charges were dropped really nothing came of it uh i don't know i don't believe he served at jail time but you know it's kind of a compound effort because all this is going on um, it does say that the Cavs were helping him address his issues before getting him back on the court. Um, listen, I understand them wanting to help him, but I think just, you know, trying to get him back onto the court might have been the best help of all because, you know, a lot of the times, like these guys, they just want to, they just want to hoop and I can't fault them for it. Like he just... He wants to hope and you know the Cavaliers don't really have this long history of being this outstanding organization who does things the right way. I mean Kobe Altman has done a decent job. Well no, he's done a good job. I'm gonna say that. He's done a good job since taking the job but you know they have oh wow my fucking jaw just cracked. They have this reputation of being just a shitty franchise and I don't know the extent of the help they were trying to get Kevin Porter Jr. I'm sure they were doing everything in their power, but like you're kind of erasing all that when he just comes into work one day and his locker's gone. And his locker's gone in place of someone who statistically this season was not better than Kevin Porter Jr. last season. Like if we just compare the numbers side by side, Kevin Porter Jr. averaged more points, 10 to 8.1, more rebounds, 3.2 to 2.8, more assists, 2.2 to 0.6. And shot similarly from downtown. You know, Torian Prince this season is at 35. Last season, Kevin Porter was at 33 and a half. Like, that's kind of fucked up, man. To just one day this kid comes in 
and he's like, yo, where my locker at? And they're like, oh, you're over there. You're in, your locker's in Siberia. For what reason, though? Like, you can't, you can't be acting like this and then, like, be shocked when folks get upset. I'm not saying that he should have been throwing food at people, but, you know, I think he has every right to be upset because he's trying to work through his issues. He's working with you guys, working with him, like, or supposedly i'm hoping that's what's going on but if he's receptive to this help that you're trying to give him because you want to see him be successful why are you going to undo all of that by moving his locker like it's just a, it's such a fucking dumb thing that really shouldn't matter like what if anything put tori and prince's locker in the end at the end and then you know fucking deal with it later because, you know, you have this cat, Kevin Porter Jr., who you're very high on, who you think can eventually transform into a very good NBA player who you expect to be with your franchise for a while. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's fucking gone because you decided to go out and move his locker. Like, I just think that's stupid. Like, it, this is such, it was such an easily avoidable situation. And the Cavaliers are yet again shooting themselves in the foot. So I hope someone picks up Kevin Porter Jr. when he is, when all this, shit blows over because you know at this point like i don't think the cavaliers really have any interest in actually helping him i mean like if you're gonna do something that dumb it's just it's a slap in the face really and i don't I, like i don't want to shit on the cavaliers too hard but it could have it could have all been avoided and with that the nba talk here is done we covered a lot covered the rockets uh, the MVP, the MVP, potential MVPs. We talked about this incident with Kevin Porter Jr. in the food fight. So now I want to just send it over quickly to the NFL playoffs, where in the NFC, we have the boomer battle, and in the AFC, we have the millennial matchup. So a great set of games over the weekend, if I do say so myself. We had really, it was an ugly game up in Buffalo. And I got to be completely transparent here. I'm not a Bills fan. I've supported my Giants ever since I started watching football, watched them win two Super Bowls, made me a very happy young man, or a boy, because I was only like 11, and I was 11, and I was 15, I think, no, I had to be younger than that, 12, no, 11, and about 15 or so, yeah, about, but as we know, Giants were kind of bad this year, not in the playoffs, although they could have, they just didn't get it done down the stretch. So the Bills, being the only actual New York State team, I feel it's only fair that I root for them. I root for Josh Allen. I really do like Josh Allen. I like Stephon Diggs. And they came out and they played a very ugly game with the Baltimore Ravens last Saturday. Like the final score is 17 to 3. Only one offensive touchdown. Taron Jackson really sealed the game when he picked off Lamar in the end zone and ran it back 101 yards for the score. Uh, Justin Tucker was not great. Really, the Ravens did not have a great game. The Bills did not play particularly well either. And it sucked because Lamar Jackson left with a concussion on the final play of the third quarter. Um, I don't know if, and if anything changes with him out there. I don't think it does because nothing changed through the first three quarters. And it just seems kind of weird for him to all of a sudden pick it up in the fourth like the offense just did not get anything going when they were out there I mean the best part of the offense was Lamar's 
Lex, he converted a second and 18 and like a third and 19 late uh, in the second quarter, I think it was. I'm trying to remember. I really don't know. But it was a very forgettable performance from the Ravens offense and even from the Bills offense. Like Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson, <laughs> Josh Allen threw for like 200 yards, I think. And that was it. I mean, it was horrific conditions for a football game. But the Bills, they made it. And they have a matchup now with the Kansas City Chiefs, who won a nail-biter against Cleveland. Patrick Mahomes also left their game with, um, I think it was a hit. I think it was also a concussion as well. I don't remember, but Chad Henney comes in and really just keeps the offense afloat. He converted this fucking ridiculous third and 14 late in the game that pretty much sealed it. And then threw, um, well, yeah, they made it. It was like from a third and 14 to like a fourth and one, you know, a little dump off pass down to Tyreek Hill. Game's over at that point. Um, also had Aaron Rodgers shit all over the Rams, 32 to 18, just a fucking disgusting performance from the likely league MVP. I mean, I was all Patty Mahomes up until probably like week 11 or week 12. And then Aaron Rodgers just comes in and he's slinging the ball all over the field to Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, all these guys. He's got a matchup with. Tom Brady, who him and the Bucks beat the Saints. I cannot say that was something that I expected. I thought the Saints were going to walk away with it, but you know, I was, I was wrong. So, uh, I guess who am I rolling with this weekend? I'm rolling with Green Bay over Tampa Bay because I think Green Bay is just unstoppable right now. I know the Bucks have a decent defense, but I mean the Rams had the best defense in the league, and Aaron Rodgers cut them up like a fucking piece of steak. I mean, this guy was just on a different level. And I think the Bucks are going to suffer a similar fate, although it may be more of a shootout because they have weapons. They got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Tom Brady, of course, and Gronk, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette. And I see the Super Bowl being... I see it being Packers Chiefs. And, bro, I don't even want to talk about that because it's not it's not time yet, but... A Packers Chiefs Super Bowl would be so fucking good because I don't think the Bills can hang with the Chiefs for an entire game. I mean, their offense just overall is not that dynamic. The Bills' lack of a run game is just, it really, it really hampers their effectiveness because the defense can just sit back and play the pass. And credit to Josh Allen, who's become so much better over the last couple of years, being able to, you know, deal with that and being able to, you know, complete passes and score touchdowns and everything, but the lack of a running game really hurts. Um, although the Chiefs don't have that great of a running game either, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is significantly better than anyone on that Bills roster. So that is pretty much the deal. Uh, not the upset. I do have the Chiefs, you know, beating the Bills as I feel they should. And what's going on here? My fucking program froze again. Okay, well, with that, I'm going to close this out. Hopefully, I uh, I have all the... Oh, do I have it? Oh, God, fuck yes. This is awesome. Okay, so it loaded. Uh, but with that, I think it's a sign for me to close this one out. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If this is your first time, welcome. If, this is, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. As always, any way you could support the show is much appreciated, whether it's you know leaving me a favorite, not a favorite, um, a like or a view on Apple Podcasts, following the show on social media, following me on social media. Again, any way that you can support the show is much appreciated and welcomed. And with that, I will catch y'all in the next one.